sixth episode of Big Red Bars, brought to you by Big Red Sports Network. I'm David Pagan, I'm joined by my co-host, Sohini Singh. Big Red Bars is the official podcast of Cornell basketball, covering both the men's and women's team, ordinate each and every week. New episodes will be released every Wednesday that break down recent games and preview the games ahead. Episodes will include exclusive interviews with Cornell Big Red players, coaches, and alumni, which you don't want to miss out on. Be sure to follow BRSN on social media at CornellBRSN or on www.cornellbrsn.com. And without further ado, let's get right into the episode. The men's team is coming off an exciting game where they were able to beat the Lafayette Leopards by 5 points, 73-68, which made them 7-1 this season, undefeated since their first game against Boston College, which, just to start off, that is impressive in itself. Yeah, and I honestly, this hot streak is really exciting. Mm-hmm. But one thing, I oh, I feel like I'm always a Debbie Downer <laughs> during these podcasts. But, like, I personally feel that, like, we keep doing this touch-and-go game. Like, it's always, you know, this team scores a point, then we score a point, then we go. It's, like, back and forth, very back and forth. And I feel like, like, I love, I love our team. I love our team. But sometimes watching the games gets frustrating because we never get a significant lead. Yeah, and I think that was, a, that was definitely present in this game. I think... There's, I'd say there are certain games where you really just get off and go. There's the games against Dow High, the game against Ithaca College. You're able to kind of just, even though the struggle getting a little close to start, you're able to, in like the third quarter, go on a big run. A game like Lafayette, it took it was a long time for us to really get into some momentum, get a nice run. So I do get, definitely get yeah. you the same. And they're just a slower tempo team in general. And also, like, I think with the slow tempo team, our press just was not, like, that effective. Yeah, and so, like, something is always fascinating because, like, now, especially in more basketball, everyone wants to play fast. Yeah. Because yeah, the, the it's, I love the, like, the run-and-gun game is just more exciting. And it's yeah. been popularized oh, yeah, in the NBA, yeah, especially. Yeah, it, it, it's trickled down. Yeah. Like, I mean, they used to wait. I mean, my dad played basketball. Like, I have... He has a bunch of old tapes of like the Knicks in the eighties and nineties. If you watch them play, he looks it's alien. Sl- it's slow, slow yeah, it's slow ball, like, and it's also very heavy inside the yeah. Paint. So, so I definitely get, understand why everyone plays. So, so why it's, I do get why team gets Lafayette gives them more problems. Not just saying that we weren't prepared, just something that we're not used, used to. Used to, yeah. Because also one thing that we really need to take into account is since November first, since our winning streak started. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, I don't want to jinx anybody, <laughs> but like since our winning streak started. We've consistently played run and gun teams, and yes. one thing our team does really well is we're good at keeping up with people. Yes. We don't get outpaced. Pace, but here's the deal: is when you play against a slow team, it becomes frustrating because exactly. it's hard. Like it's hard as somebody who's used to run and gun game to play somebody who plays slower. Yeah, you hit runners. Yeah, it's worth it. And it's a mental block too. I feel like mentally, it's just frustrating to play like yeah. against slow teams. I, it's something like, like like you're saying. Everyone plays fast now. So we're playing a team like Lafayette. Not only are you not as used to it, it is frustrating. Like when I used to play, there's a team in our district named uh, the Clements Rangers, and they this is high school, there's no shot clock. They would take two minutes if they need to. So yeah, like the same, oh my god! Or you, the point guard, the point guard yes. dribbles down, Set. super they slow, just do taking his sweet time. And the thing, like I feel like the hard part with teams like that is. You could have aggressive defense where they go and get out of position to steal the ball when those things happen or when the shot clock is running out. But, like, I think in moments like that, aggressive defense is not really the best thing because then you get out of position because they're moving. So, if that makes sense, like, you, yeah, get, yeah. Dr- you get drawn out by the slow movement Yo, of the ball because you, you get you get hyped up. You're ready to get the ball. Perfect thing. That's the perfect um, analysis of that slow style because what a slow team wants to do is to gamble. 
is to reach and to try to take advantage of their, of their pain. To get you to lose your, and, lose your patience. And once you're now, – now that you gamble, they're playing five on four, they get easy bucket, and that's how something starts to kill you. Like, yeah. um, I remember when I was younger, the Spurs, like, boring as hell. Like, no yeah, no, because they, like, they play would, such a slow game. They kill people. Yeah, Tim Duncan was like it's like years it's old. like bleeding a team out it's, very exactly. slowly. They would, they would kill people just yeah. off playing so slow, but passing the ball. So I think yeah. it's something that Cornell they have to adjust to, especially because we're a very well fastest paced team in all yeah. college basketball. So and that's why I love Cor- and I know like we're like saying you know they you know playing a slow team is a difficult thing, but that's why I love Cornell basketball and especially like our men's team oh, is yeah. just watching them reminds me of like. My favorite team, the Hawks. I just love watching them play that run and gun game. And honestly, the way that their offense is set up to be so productive is just really fun to watch. Now, Lafayette, I hate that slow game. It just makes me want to shoot myself in the foot. But they have some production from it. They had one player with seventeen points. Another with fourteen points. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like they're. It doesn't feel that way because it's a slow game. They they don't have. They're not like a dominating. Yeah, it's like killing you softly. That team never feels like they're overwhelming you. They're just always there. There, exactly. It's a consistent. Like, it's a consistent beat of a drum, if that makes sense. It's but not, like, a super fast tempo. I think it's safe to say that our men's team was able to hold no, down. No, we hit on them. Like, for example, okay, like, like, no. Greg Dolan had a really nice game again, yeah. 12 points. At this assists, point, if he doesn't have a good game, it's a surprise. Baz Williams had another good game, 12 yeah. points. A great off-the-bench spark, Matt, uh, and, uh, excuse me, Chris Mann with 12 points a game. Yeah, Chris Mann went bench. kind of crazy during this 12 game. 12 points, 6 rebounds, yeah. really good During the, the first half, he was doing like a really good job just taking over on offense and being really dominant and drawing fouls, too. Yeah. Like, just finishing in the paint and being really aggressive, which that I really think is really because nice. Though Lafayette had the two game highs in 17-14, mm-hmm. we... I was, we were able to beat them because we had a much more balanced diet. We had uh, Chris Hansen was six, Pookie was seven, yeah. Josh Williams was twelve, Isaiah Gray was seven, Gray Dolan was twelve, yeah, but, and same thing on the yeah, bench. Yeah, very but balanced. correct me if I'm like if I'm incorrect in this like assumption, but I feel like during that game our threes didn't really get rolling until the second half. Yeah, I, I, overall for the game we shot thirty one percent, which is not really Go, ideal. And I feel like we're a three point shooting team, which very is much why so. we're, like, we're out of that one. yeah, it felt it felt like there was a key component missing but at the same time i think it really gave some of our players like um nas isaiah and um and sorry excuse me man and to like shine inside the paint yeah i think um like for the season we're shooting 38 73 which is phenomenal that game we shot 31 so like you said definitely something that was kind of missing just something that mm-hmm. happens everyone yeah. has a battery night but again great adjustment great recognition because sometimes in a game in the first half like you said you're gonna realize, okay we're not making shots right now yeah. But it does not mean you can't get to the basket. Get, get no. to the basket. If you're not, kick. if shots aren't falling on the outside, you have to just you know try something else. And I think we did a really good job of doing that. And then at the end, you know, we fell back into the similar rhythm. Exactly. Um, second half, more threes were up. And also, I found it really interesting how there was a lot of um, like backdoor play, like cuts behind the baseline, yeah. and you know, just like strong like layups and um, like just something, backdoor something passes. Something Cornell does really well with their offense is that when they'll give the ball to the top of the key, where that be most usually Chris Hansen. I mean, excuse me, Chris Hansen, Sean Hansen. But they usually Sean. When they give him the ball at the top of the key, uh, he'll uh, he'll dribble at one side of the court, and the player that he's dribbling to will back will cut. And throughout all the games so far, this has got a bunch of teams. No, because it's, it's hard to keep moving. up with them, and also the defense gets very disoriented. Like it's exactly. kind of funny, like not to crap on them, but it's interesting how like. It's not a simple play, but it's just the sheer speed of it and the fact that the opposing team's defense always looks confused. Yeah, because they're because most again when you play defense for so long, you're kind of used to just 
sitting there, sitting there and like me. yeah especially because like i feel like one thing cornell has that's really unique is the speed at which they move the ball yeah. and also how quick our players are to react like our reactivity is like very very good Agreed. for like any collegiate team it, in those cuts you're talking about i think it's really just a great um combination of of our offensive team the motion offense uh get the ball to a, to a yeah, wing just going up and, and down the court moving where you have to yeah. and speaking of going up and down the court in that run and gun game we do have an interview mm-hmm. today with isaiah gray yeah isaiah's a great player should be a lot of fun hearing from him. yeah but before our interview just a word from our partner big red fueling this week's episode of big red balls is brought to you by big red fueling managed by sports dietitian Alyssa harrington Big Red Fueling is open five days a week from 2.30 to 4.45 at Fortel's Hall, the home of Big Red Basketball, offering both in-season and out-season athletes snacks to fuel their performance and recovery. Snacks provide valuable knowledge to inform athletes of optimal snack choices based on exercise and personal goals. Follow Big Red Fueling at, on Instagram at Fueling for infographics and all things sports nutrition, including college-friendly recipes, posts and pre-workout suggestions, supplement safety, and much more. Joined by Isaiah Gray from Brooklyn, New York. Number 13 and a 6'3 guard, he's been making waves with the Cornell men's basketball team. Averaging 8.3 points per game this season and shooting 60% in field goals, he's become a crucial piece of the moving machine that's Big Red Basketball. Well, Isaiah, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Of course, of course. Um, First and foremost, I mean, my start with the You guys are 7-1 right now, but undefeated since your first game in November. Can you talk about what's really helped on this run and gave you guys some momentum so far? Um, I think, so yeah, we lost a, a tough one in the beginning of the season um, to a good opponent. Um, and I think we learned a lot from that game. Uh, it was a game we thought that we should have won. Um, and, you know, we, we used that as kind of like, Motivation to you know really go hard and practice and work on the things that we could improve upon, um, and we know that you know once we we're a team that can you know get really streaky uh, when it comes to wins, but also like in the games as well we go on like a lot of runs. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been trying to figure out you know what's been working for us, and I think having some some more games and learning more about each other um, has been helpful. So I think in the time in between that that first loss and now you know going seven straight. Um, definitely, you know, kind of learned how to play with each other more and figure out what works and what doesn't. So definitely still learning more because it's still early on in the season. But I think so far we've been able to, you know, put together some 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 good games and some good practices. Oh, gotcha. And practice is a good thing. Follow-up question because a lot of things I've heard from our, our guys say that practice is harder than games. Yeah. So how in that way does – in what way is the practice format to where they help you guys prepare for what you guys are about to see in the next game or just in general overall? Yeah. Um, I think well, a lot of the, what we do in practice is um, like we was more in the preseason but because now we're doing um, – you know, we have more games and we kind of have less wear on our body. But we play a lot. So we're putting ourselves in game situations a lot. Um, as opposed to like kind of going through non-game like reps, we're kind of always playing. You know, whether doing situations where it's like, you know, down a certain uh, in a certain situation in the game, and you know, kind of reacting from there. Um, so I think that's been helpful a lot, and also like they said, it's been harder because you know we're playing against each other and we know all of our own tendencies and uh, what we like to do. So when we're in the game, when we're playing against other teams, you know, they don't know as much, so it's easier. Like we see that things that aren't open in practice start to open up um so definitely but we gotta you know we keep you know playing hard and going hard in practice has been helpful uh that way when it comes to the game time uh, we're able to kind of see things that uh you know that are maybe harder in practice are a little easier in the games 
Uh, no, for sure. And so, for this season, you're after 8.3 points a game, but you're shooting incredible 60% from the field. Can you talk a little bit about how you've been so efficient so far early this season? Um, yeah, so, like, kind of one of the things that uh, Coach instills in us is, like, you know, taking good shots and shots that were um, that w- within the way we want to play, but also that uh, complement our own con- uh, styles of play. Um, so a lot of us shoot really high percentage shots, um, which and and so in my case, I, I get a lot of layups, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we move really fast in the break. I think that complements kind of who I am as a player. I like to really get up and down. Um, so that kind of helps me get the shots that I can take, but also that I know that I can make. So, um, so yeah, it's been helpful now, like that, you know, been able to get high efficient shots um, in our offense and the way we play. So, yeah, and so speak about the way you guys are playing your offense. Um, can you talk a little bit about the game against Lafayette, your most recent game? What were your little takeaways for that game? Things you guys did well, things you guys made to improve on. Yeah, so that game, uh, we knew it was going to be harder than it looked on paper. Um, you know, they coming in, I think we're one in seven or one in eight. So most teams, most people would have thought, you know, we would have rolled them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had played a, they had had a, a leading up to now, had played some really tough teams um, that were all, they had all kept it really close. So we knew that it was going to be a, a tough game um, for all 40 minutes. And to contrast, like our, we are maybe, I think coach had said, uh, we're like top five in tempo right now and, and points scored. And they're like in the bottom percentage of tempo. So it's a really fast team versus a really slow team. Um, and so our, our game plan was not to let them slow us down and to be able to not um, or to be able to kind of stick in our, our, you know, ideals and what we kind of base our offense on. So I think that game, we were able to kind of uh, maintain some of the speed, but them kind of playing slow and, um, and, and, and spreading out the shooters a lot was something that uh, gave us some difficulty. But uh, we were able to persevere. And I think in the last three minutes or so. We won. We finished on like an 11-0 run or something mm-hmm. like that, um, and it was a good testament to us to be able to, you know, down six or something or whatever it was. Um, how you know, find a way to win even if it's ugly, even if it's not the way we drew it up. Um, so I think that was a good win for us. So I just wanted to interject for one second. You did say that um, they're a slower team, and I think up until this point, um, you guys have played teams who move at a similar pace as you guys. So um, what's one specific thing you look for when you play a slower team to like make sure they don't slow you down? Like if you could go more into depth about that. Yeah, um, a lot of it is kind of uh, keeping the, our defensive pressure. So on teams that are really slow, they might use the whole shot clock or you know most of the shot clock in their offensive possessions. So if we can kind of speed them up a little bit in the half court um, through our full court press or turn them over uh, more than they like to, um, that's one way to kind of combat someone just walking the ball off the court um, and, you know, using all using 30 out of the 35 or you know, using 25 seconds out of the shot clock. Um, so that's that was one of our 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 goals going into it. All right, we're going to make sure we, you know, keep up defensive pressure, make them, you know, have to move a little faster than they want to. Um, that way, when we're in the half court, uh, they're not being able to control the time as much as they wanted to. Yeah, and talk about your early season success as a team so far. If you were to stack it against the other Ivy League teams right now, you'd be second amongst the Ivy League teams with an 88% winning percentage. Mm-hmm. So from this stretch of how well you've played so far, I know, of course, conference plays different. Every game's more intense. They, yeah, for sure. they sky each other. So what would you guys say you can carry on from this early preseason or non-conference play to uh, conference play with that tempo you talked about, your yeah. pressure? Um, I'd say definitely the tempo. Um, and I'd say probably the two most important things 
uh, would be our tempo and how hard we play because those are things that you know we can always control. We can always control for the most part. You know, making or missing shots that's not always up to us. Um, you know, we want to obviously go out there and make as many shots as possible, but there are some nights where we're going to be missing or um, you know not as precise as we normally are. Um, so, but if we know if we go out there and play really fast, um, but also um, playing fast, but also playing really hard, mm-hmm. that that can carry over regardless of who our opponent is in uh, in or out of conference. So I think we're just trying to stick to that and then obviously learn some more like the nuances as we play more teams and different style teams that'll help us um, carry over to uh, league play. And you mentioned playing fast and playing hard, which really something really to me at least sums up your game. Because every time we, I watch you guys, you're always moving. Yeah, you're active. You're getting your hands passing lane, rebounds, whoever it is. Yeah. And so, can you talk about where's that motor come from, and how does that ev- elevate your play this year? Yeah, um, a lot of I would say comes from our you know our coaching our coaching staff. Um, they you know this the way this kind of style of play is fairly new to Cornell. Um, I could when uh, before I came here, uh, they Cornell had one of like the slowest tempos um, in in college basketball, which is what you normally see amongst like Princeton style offense. It's generally not very fast. It's kind of you know later in the shot clock, just get the best shot possible, um, which is what we're still trying to do. But uh, now with uh, with the added like kind of speed and, and toughness to it, so a lot of it, uh, our coaching staff does a really good job putting us in certain drills that kind of you know emulate. A little bit of chaos, but trying to make a controlled chaos. Um, so it's like where, you know, these situations that might not be game-like, but they help you, in, you know, in situations where you're going to have to move fast and have to think um, and make and make decisions, make make good decisions on the fly. Um, so I would say a lot of we've been, um, and especially us older guys, have been doing this for the past two, three years now. So a lot of it, that kind of, you know, being able to make a quick you know, decision, but also make it the right decision um, is something we've, we've worked a lot at. So you're a junior now. You've been around the block a little bit. How have you tried to help mentor some of the, some of the underclassmen, some of the freshmen, sophomores so far? Yeah, I mean, definitely the kind of, because uh, you can tell, like, every class coming in, they kind of see this adjustment. Because um, you might not pick up on it right away, you know, when you're getting recruited. It's kind of harder to see, you know, these, these details of how um, a team is oriented and how they play until you're really in it. So a lot of times, like, our freshmen come in and, you know, they're seeing for the first time all these things that coach is telling them. Um, so kind of just trying to, you know, remember back when I was, the first, you know, when, when when people were, when the coaches were telling me that for the first time and, and trying to kind of relate that to them. I think that's probably, you know, what we've been trying to do. And now as the season goes along, it's a long season. So, um, you know, telling, you know, trying to keep everyone together. Um, and as you know, things that are new for the fre- you know for the, some of the freshmen and younger guys, trying to let them know you know this is you know just kind of how it is and how to go about it. Um, but we're all in this together. You know, we learn things from the freshmen too. Um, so as much as uh, you know, we're we're all here to help each other um, and and improve and get you know and reach our end goal. So um, yeah, I'd say that's probably how we've been trying to help them adjust. No, yeah, for sure. And so back to your personal game, uh, what's all you would say you think you want to improve on your own? Is how's the coaching staff helped you in any way? Yeah, um, definitely want to keep making good decisions and trying to, you know, limit, you know, turnovers or, or, or mistakes because, um, you know, those are going to happen. But we, if we can get those down to a minimum, um, you know, that would, that, that helps promote the kind of way we want to play. Um, 
So that was definitely one. Uh, I, I want to. I haven't been shooting it as well as I would like to. Um, start the season off. Um, you know, I haven't always really been a high volume shooter. Um, so that's part of why it's like I'm not getting up as as much. But now I feel like a coach, the coaches, you know, know how hard we work, how much we work on on those you know parts of our game, um, and are encouraging you know me to stay with it. Um, and like I said, it's a long season, so there's going to be ups and downs. Um, but just stick with it and just keep working hard. Um, so I think those, yeah, those are some things. I mean, there's a bunch of, every time we play, there's new things that I want to improve upon. Um, but like, like, uh, you know, just want to keep stacking days and, and every game, every practice, learn a little bit more about myself and what my role is in the team and how I can, you know, uh, better that. So definitely learning, you know, watching a lot of film through that and, um, just talking a lot with the coaches. Um, but yeah, I think those are probably some things I want to work on. And you guys are going to Miami tomorrow. And they're generally like similar team to you guys in terms of pace and tempo. So, what's one thing that you're really going to carry with you personally when you go play them? Um, you know, yeah. just in terms of um, I would say, I mean, we haven't. Uh, we, we will probably do some more scouting of them today and tomorrow because you know we just finished our game with Lafayette, so we you know now starting to shift over gears um, into you know thinking about Miami, who's a much different team than Lafayette. Um, but so I'd say definitely just like, you know, no matter what, just playing hard and fast. So those are kind of, you know, some of our pillars on, on the way we play. Um, and we feel confident that, you know, regardless of the opponent, if we stick to that kind of um, that style of play, you know, we can we can do good things. So definitely. And, and I feel like I bring a lot of that energy to the team. If we, you know, on offense and defense, if we can play really hard and fast, um, you know, we, we stand a good chance that at winning a lot of games. So um, we haven't necessarily, you know, gotten too much of the details yet um, on this Miami team in particular, but I think if we kind of apply that to the way they play and, and the different kind of scouts our coaches draw up, um, I think, you know, that'll probably be what translates the most. And so as the calendar winds down and you guys are going to hit conference play soon, what's one thing, I guess overall thing you would say that the team has that you might want to get into gear before that, or really anything you want to hang your hat on before we enter that final stretch? Um, definitely closing games. Uh, we haven't had – I mean, we've had a couple close games so far, but I remember last year during Ivy play, um, the games were all really close. Like, yeah. There were very few blowouts or, like, you know, wide margins in these wins because we know it's a very tight uh, – you know, it's a very close close league. Not many teams, and we're all kind of similar. Um, so definitely, you know, that kind of resilience to be able to, you know – tied or down with two minutes left or whatever situation is, you know, that will to want to win and, and regardless of what else happens, you know, be able to find a way to win. Um, I think we've done a good job of it so far, but definitely want to, and that comes with experience too. Last year, we didn't really have much experience. It was a lot of young guys, um, you know, only a couple of veterans, uh, but now, you know, we have a year or two under our belt. We've, we've, we've been through it um, and we play with each other. Now we kind of know, all right, you know, some of these things that, didn't fly in Ivy play, I mean, in, in out-of-conference play, you know, won't, you know, or that worked in out-of-conference play, you know, might not work in in-conference play. So definitely kind of, you know, use the banking on some of that experience to kind of, you know, find a way to win. So now we're just going to switch the, like, range of questions from game-related to kind of personal. And um, we just wanted to start with what got you interested in basketball and have you always known that you wanted to play collegiately? Yeah, um, so probably what got me interested in basketball was I was always like kind of an active kid growing up. Like I'm 
I'm from New York City, and so their like, sports are kind of big, especially basketball. Um, but I first started playing soccer, and I kind of was just playing it like the kind of like um, it was my mom was just putting me something so I could you know have something to do. And then I wanted to switch. I got kind of I played baseball for a little bit, um, and then I was like I wanted to play basketball. And then as soon as I started playing basketball, I was maybe like eight or nine years old. I was like, oh yeah, I don't want to play anything else. Like, this is my favorite. Um, and then like collegiately, it was kind of like. It was always a goal of mine to be, well, it wasn't always clear, you know, as a kid, you want to go to the NBA. So that's what we were, like, in elementary school, we were all talking about, like, oh, when we play for the Knicks or whatever. Um, and then, you know, but as you get older, you see more of the, like, the, the different levels to it. It's like, all right, if I want to play in the NBA, I got to go to a good college. If I want to go to a good college, I got to, you know, play for a good high school team or a good AAU team. Um, so it definitely kind of, as things went along, I was like, all right, you know, um, I, college basketball is definitely something I want to do. So just figuring out ways to kind of make that happen. And uh, you, along with a lot of other players that we've talked to, have mentioned AAU and how that plays a role in the recruitment process. So what was the recruitment process for you like when it comes to, you know, like your journey to Cornell? Yeah. Um, so I was kind of like, uh, I would say like, I, I wasn't always really heavily recruited or really recruited that much at all by colleges. Um, like I didn't really play for like, um, especially in New York, there's so much politics throughout basketball because it's so big there. Um, like I, some kids have been playing AAU since they were like in fifth grade yeah. or or even younger, and I wasn't really like that. I didn't really have like a formal basketball like background, um, so I kind of was figuring out as I was going along. So it was kind of like uh, towards like my junior year of high school, I was like, all right, I got to figure out like how am I going to get seen by these college coaches. Um, so I knew that it was important for me to have you know, good grades because um, if a school was like like Cornell, but I wasn't thinking about that at the time, I was like, if a school has like a high standard of getting in, I want to be able to be able to, you know, get into that school so that if that was a requirement for me to be able to play there. Um, but uh, but so throughout most of high school, I wasn't really recruited by any Division One schools. And then I decided to do a postgraduate year um, in, a, in a prep school called Cushing Academy. Um, and I hadn't really played much AAU up until then, but that year I played AAU um, with a really good team, and I finally started to get seen by some college coaches and playing in good camps and started building up that kind of network. Um, and eventually I was able to choose from a couple of schools, and I decided on Cornell. I have a question. Um, I think it's something I like to ask all athletes, especially basketball, because I think it's just really insightful kind mm-hmm. of player they are. When you were growing up, uh, playing um, game better and better, who was the guy that you watched and you kind of wanted to emulate? Um, I feel like growing up, my favorite basketball player was uh, Derrick Rose. Yeah. Because uh, when he, like, and I feel like I, I wasn't alone. Everyone was, oh, like, yeah. a Derrick Rose fan when he, you know, was MVP uh, that year in, like, 2011 mm-hmm. or 2012. I can't remember when it was. But, um, but definitely him. I always saw him. I was like, you know, he was so athletic. He was always, you know, moving up and down the court so fast. All of his movements. I was like, oh, I want to be able to play like him. Um, but I wouldn't say necessarily like I emulated. But I, I mean, I probably did like subconsciously. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because um, I was just watching him the most. But definitely. And then as I got older, it was you know you kind of pick and choose from different players. But definitely as like a when I was like a really young kid looking up, it was it was always him. So. You mentioned Cushion Academy and, you know, the postgraduate year. Did that make your transition from high school or, like, you know, a little bit of a lower-level athletics to, you know, high-level athletics a little bit easier? Definitely. It was definitely really important to my uh, 
development as a basketball player um, because I came so I came from a high school in New York City that um, wasn't really like known for its its basketball like we had some good seasons and I was able to get a lot better there but you know coaches weren't really recruiting there it wasn't like you know we had an, a really elite coaching staff um, so definitely kind of being able to go from there to a more you know college like setting you know I'm away from home you know, more rigorous, uh, you know, traveling and schedule and, and whatnot was definitely uh, an adjustment. And it was important for me because I feel like had I gone from just like I went to Martin Luther King High School in New York, had I gone from just there to, you know, here, it would have been a lot more things I would have had to, you know, learn in less time. So that year was definitely a good year to kind of play against some higher level talent and also be, uh, you know, um, in that kind of realm of like high level you know, basketball on, on all aspects. So then um, you also mentioned like being looking at multiple colleges or having multiple universities ha- looking at you at the time. Mm-hmm. So why of all of them did you, you know, settle on Cornell? Um, well, I kind of like when I was going through the recruitment process, I was I was kind of, you know, figured it out. I, was, cause I didn't like, like I said, I didn't really have someone in my corner kind of like, oh, you need to go here. You need to look in this conference. I was kind of, you know, figuring out me and my mom were just kind of, you know, figuring it out on our own. Um, and I, I liked the Ivy League a lot. I'd watched a lot of them play, a lot of schools play. And um, I knew that, you know, beyond basketball, you know, there was a, a big a big benefit of going to an Ivy League university. Um, so that was kind of always in the back of my head as I was going through the process. Um, and Cornell was the first school actually that, or first Division One school that had reached out to me on like really trying to recruit me um, and they kind of and you know through that whole process there are schools that will you know be really high on you one day and then two weeks later you know you might not hear from them as much um, but Cornell was always um, you know throughout that whole uh, summer and spring going into my postgraduate year they uh, and it had always kind of maintained a good relationship with me so when it came down to it I knew that like Beyond, you know, obviously Cornell is good academic, good athletics, but I knew that I had built good relationships with the coaches here um, that would last, uh, that would be worthwhile. Gotcha. And then you also talked, like you mentioned the academic rigor and, you know, prestige of Cornell. So what made you land on sociology as a major? And why did you decide to pair that with business minoring? Like, can you explain the thought behind that? Yeah. So, I mean, I came in here not really like, like I didn't have an idea of what I wanted to study because um, I, you know, I'm, I was here just trying my hardest to get recruited as a basketball player. So when it came in, you know, my mind is always, you know, I just want to play basketball. I'm not, I wasn't really thinking as much, oh, I want to be a, you know, whatever major. So I came in, I was like, I'm just going to take whatever classes that seem interesting to me um, and then go from there. Um, so, I, you know, I'm in the College of Arts and Sciences, which is, it was good because, you know, you can take a lot of classes in different different fields um and i'd taken a bunch of social classes and i you know had um um you know noticed or i kind of had realized that i you know enjoyed taking those classes and um and i saw like you know they had a lot of real world applications to them which i was able to kind of relate to in some ways because i felt like my upbringing i had a lot i was put in a lot of different kind of uh uh different like social settings like i said i went to like a public school in new york city and then to like an elite uh, boarding school in Mass, um, in New England. So those were two kind of I'm in two different dem- demographics, and then now to Cornell. So I feel like as a social major, I was able, or in in the social field of sociology, you kind of get to see 
kind of the inner workings of it and how people interact. And I thought I was able to kind of apply it to the way things I had seen. Um, and then for the business minor, that kind of just came a lot. taken a couple business classes and it also interests me. Um, so the two majors don't really, re- I mean, the two kind of don't really relate as much, but um, I figured it was things that I was interested in. And then as I go down the line, I can find ways to um, put them together. Because so- sociology is kind of a broad major. So it's like, I don't really know exactly where it's going to take me, but I feel like um, with that kind of as a background will be helpful regardless of what I end up doing. All right. Yeah. So now we're going to transition to this segment called Overtime. It's five minutes of fun questions nice. and just kind of a slap, like slap shot round where we'll alternate and you know just get your thoughts. And All right. you know, we'll be right back with that. Let's do it. Okay, Isaiah, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, so first question: Louis or Nasties? Mm, Nasties, exactly. This probably. is like this, this is, is not fair. I'm actually so <laughs> upset about this. Wait, have you ever been to Louis? I have. Okay. I've been to Louis. I've been there enough to be able to differentiate between the two, and I would say Nasties only because it's a little more accessible. Mm-hmm. Like if you're living on North, you know, yes. it's a little bit easier to walk, and the line isn't as long. You go to Louis, you might be waiting that line for. You know, however long, but they're both very valid. Okay, but disregarding options. those two things, just in regards okay, to in taste, terms of food, yeah, food wise, I'm gonna stick with nasty yes. only because I'm like a really big fan of the Southwest chicken sandwich. Oh, okay, and but Nat, but Louis has really good food too, and definitely more food options. Um, so definitely, it's it's a close race, but I'm gonna go nasty. Right. Right. <laughs> what's what's your favorite Cornell moment on or off the court? Uh, favorite Cornell moment. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a good question. I don't know if I have a, a moment in particular. That's a, that, but definitely, oh, you know, with my teammates, regardless of of where we are, times we're always spending together, always a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, any any situation that like. You know, we're all, t- especially when we're like the whole team is together, those are always a lot of fun. So, like, you know, if we're doing some kind of excursion or, you know, what it's just like after a game and we're all just in the locker room, um, those are a lot of fun. Those are my favorite moments. Right, so, elaborating on like that kind of line of questioning, um, do you have any pre or post game rituals? Hmm. Uh,. Kind of maybe in pregame, I'm not super, like, I'm not really superstitious. I have some teammates who, like, they do the same thing. They put the left stock on first or whatever. Um, but probably before a game, I like to, um, I like to take, like, a, we, we have, like, in the training room, like, a hot bath. And I like to sit in the hot bath with my headphones on, just listen to music, warm my body up, and kind of just think. I use, like, a thinking pod for a little bit. Um, so that's probably my only real ritual. Um, but, yeah. Okay, postgame, we heard you do a little... Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yes. that's true. I do do that. That's and that was that was from a teammate last year. Uh, every game he would draw on the wall, and so this year we were like, all right, we gotta bring that back. <laughs> yeah. So we go, we draw a little W because yeah, we'll write the scout out on the, yeah. on the board. Um, and after the game, yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about that. Uh, but yeah, definitely that that that's definitely a post game ritual. We do that every game. Well, every game that we win, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. So, what's your favorite uh, flavor from the ice cream dairy bar? Ooh. I'm a big chocolate guy. Um, I forgot which one it is, but it's like the maybe the three to, three 
I forget uh, what the name of it is, but it's like got the chocolate and the Oreos in it. Mm. And sometimes you can make that if you go to a dairy bar, I put it into a, a, a milkshake. It's fire. I have a follow-up question for you, Clint. A very important one for all hoopers. Yep. LeBron Jordan. Jordan. All right. Well, we'll continue. <laughs> yeah. Are you, wait, you like LeBron, right? Yes, of course. Oh. It, it's close though. It's yeah. close, but I'm. I don't. I just. That's a long debate. It's a big later. debate. We don't, yeah. we, don't have, we don't have enough time. We want to double over time. Yes. To do that. If you could choose one teammate to start a business with, who would Ooh, it be? That's a really good question. I'm gonna pick Greg Dolan because he's a he's a veteran in every category. He's a really nice guy, and uh, he's very easy to talk to, which is uh, important if you're gonna start a business with someone. You was talking about you was in the hot tub with the music hall. So what's your favorite pregame artist? <laughs> That's a good one. It depends on like the mood. Like sometimes I like I really I, sometimes I like to listen to like R and B, which is not always the most like pregame, you know, nah. amp you up. Yeah. But sometimes I I just really like music and R and B. Something I grew up listening to. Um, but yesterday I was listening. It wasn't R and B. I listened to a lot of Nas. Nas. Gotcha. Um, just because, I don't know, I like to listen to his lyrics and he always yeah. got something good to say. But it changes, though. I don't like, I don't, I don't, I don't discriminate on who I listen to before games. If you had to go R&B, who you try to listen to? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, the other day I listened to a lot of Mary J. Blige. Yeah. Uh, which was, it was interesting. I, it was putting me in an interesting mood, but it was definitely, I was, I was enjoying my time listening to her. Gotcha. Well, this is kind of a completely random question. But if you could own one farm animal, what animal would it be? A horse. Was that a farm animal? No. Okay. Uh, I think, yeah. Those horse are farm. She lives on a farm. Yeah. A horse counts. Yeah, a horse. <laughs> I'd have a nice horse, and we'd be best friends. Okay. okay. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, study spot at Cordell here? Olin. Olin. Yeah. Like the stacks or like the reading room? Just like the basic first thing you go in, you see the double monitors. That's my favorite part. I, people kind of give me, like they hate on me for that. Really? I don't know why. I got some Olin haters on our team, but uh, definitely Olin. That's my comfort spot. Gotcha. And then we had one question um, that's kind of back to the pregame ritual, but what's your favorite pregame meal? Ooh. So normally we'll have like a pregame meal with the team. Um, and it dep- depending on whether we're away or home, um, it depends. But uh, I don't know. I really like to eat like, I know, like, carbo loading is good. I eat a lot of bread before games. That might be weird, but, like, if we have bread rolls, I eat, like, three, four of those that night. But that's not really – I don't really know about the pregame food, per se, or meal. But in, no matter what the meal is, if you have some rolls, I eat a lot of those. What's your best joke? My best joke – all right, here. Here it is. Uh-huh. What do ticks and the Eiffel Tower have in common? They're both parasites. <laughs> That's an awful pun. That was a good that one. Was so bad. That was good. I, I that was so bad. <laughs> and then last question is, if you were a hotelie, what would be your go-to outfit? If I were a hotelie? Um, I don't know, but it would, I would have some kind of vest on. Sweater vest, puffer vest, denim vest. I, I'm a big vest guy, so I'd wear a vest. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Um, we really appreciate you being here and just thank you for answering. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank Thank you so much, man. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Isaiah Gray, for coming on the podcast. We always love hearing from our players. And today's insight was really valuable. Also, we haven't really been able to talk about 
on this person yet, but he's been a key part to our success as a podcast. We appreciate everything you've done. Kieran Hurley, so he and I really appreciate everything you've done. Yeah, whether us. it's, you know, just opening the room for us or just being there <laughs> to support and, you know, just making everything possible. We really just appreciate you and, you know, the fact that you care enough to, like, let us be in contact with the team. It's just, it means a lot. Yeah, and we, thank you. Um, thank you for just valuing, valuing our work. Now, for regular listeners, you probably know we always do a preview of the next coming games for our big red ballers. So, <laughs> um, you know, when this episode drops, we will have played University of Miami and at Miami. So definitely their farthest traveling game. Easily. And, you know, there's Miami has some real, like, good players. They're 8-1 and number one in ACC rankings right now. Mm-hmm. And they've played big games against big-time teams. Yeah, I think that's going to be really important for our, our guys. Because, look, they are, they are just another basketball team like every basketball team is. However, being a prominent D1 school, they play in some really big games. So they have seniors, their best player being a senior. They play some kids, the Dukes of the world. It's yeah. some really big, the Blue Bloods. Exactly. And not to, not to you know, toot my own Southern horn, but Southern <laughs> basketball is a different big. breed. Southern basketball is real. Yeah, that's that's a different breed of play. Like, the like North Carolina in general. And mm-hmm. I, you, Miami, like, they yeah. get – to play some really, really good large teams. contenders like March Madness finals yeah. and stuff so like that. It's, I think the experience thing would definitely be something to look out for. I think really, again, not, not saying experience, like not playing the game and obviously you have some seniors and juniors. But it's, playing on such a high level, like a high volume so it's level, a bright I stage as yeah. Miami is. So that should be pretty interesting to see. But when it comes to the team itself, Miami does have some pretty big scorers. They are a really good scoring team. They have four players averaging 10 points a game or more. As a team, they're averaging 74 points a game. They're showing respectable 33% of the three and an all right 75% of the free throw line. So looking down the line, they can, they can score, they yeah, can play. They could, will definitely be a competitive match for us. But at the end of the day, like, again, they're a competitive match for us because we're relatively easily matched. Like, yeah. we have, like, we average around the same number of assists, rebounds, and turnovers. And we're also both pretty similar in field goal percentage, and we're also both very high-scoring teams. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Because you look just statistically, uh, go paper, paper, look at it by paper, these teams look pretty evenly matched. Both only lost one game, doing extremely well compared to their contemporaries in the conference. And looking at their stats, again, are, like you mentioned, are very similar. So I think... This will come down to first turnovers, which Cornell did really well against last time against Lafayette, only having eight. Um, their pace, because we've talked about a lot how fast Cornell likes to play. And you, Miami, likes to play fast, too. Exactly. So, so I think the main thing, like, no, sorry, not but, to steal your ahead, thunder, David. But I think one thing we'll really have to focus on is just hammering our defense and making sure that their offense doesn't get away from us and we don't let it descend to chaos. Definitely, yeah. I think our pace, our, our style of play, our speed, if that can maintain, even though we're playing a different team, and as you mentioned, if our defensive scheme is good enough to where we can shut off what they like to do it and also then make it hard for them each and every play, I honestly think this Miami game will be really fun. And honestly, this is the thing. This is the one Cornell can come out on top of. I can't wait to see what they do with this game, David. And personally, I you know I'll be watching on TV. Oh yeah, yeah. You all will. Should be a fun game to see. Um and yeah. Yeah, we'll good. definitely be cheering them on from home. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. Stay tuned for next week where we'll be covering the women's team after their game against University of Hartford. It will be our third interview with the women's team, so definitely something to look forward to. Please share with your friends and family and follow the podcast on your platform. These two things help us grow the podcast and publicize Cornell sports the most. Once again, you can follow Big Red Sports Network on Instagram at CornellBRSN or reach us at www.cornellbrsn.com.
Special thanks to our producers, Matthew Furman, Gabe Zollup, Jay Klein, and Uma Comfort, and the rest of the BRSN team. I'm Sohini Singh. And I'm David Apeka. And we'll see you next week. Go Big Red.